Okay, hey, welcome. This is episode 20 of the Love Shared podcast. It's part of a series that we call the Dialogue Series, and the purpose of the Dialogue Series is to learn how to dialogue. And our hope is that we engage in conversation around topics that are sometimes tricky to navigate. And tonight we have a really special guest. Uh, we have Heidi Mayer here at the River from Youth Hope. So welcome, Heidi. We're really glad that you're here. Thank you for having me. Um, Heidi, maybe you can just kick it off by telling us what is Youth Hope? Youth Hope is a nonprofit organization that is based here in Redlands, and we work with the homeless, runaway, and at-risk youth. We state between the ages of 14 and 24. However, we have 11 and 12-year-olds that roll through. And, you know, if they come in at 24 and they're needing help, we're not kicking them out. So we're very um, ish at Youth Hope. And our goal is to, first of all, to love them unconditionally. Uh, it's our goal to be like Jesus and to be open and to love them and to build trust and build relationships. Once we have kind of started that process and we have food, um, I feel like everybody deserves a good meal. I like to eat. And so we, we feed our, our youth food, meals. Uh, we have groceries for them to take home with them. We have clothing. Everything we offer the youth is free. Uh, there is not one thing that they have to pay for. So we have clothes for them to take. And then it's kind of up to them, what do they need? We have free medical care for our youth. We've partnered with Loma Linda University, and we can get the kids um, any type of medical help that they need. We have free dental. We have glasses for our youth so they can see again. We have counseling. Um, we tell the kids whatever kind of medical needs that they need, we'll work really hard to make that happen. Once we know they're, fit, they're fed and, and they're healthy, then it's time to move forward, and that's education. So all children, all youth have the right to go to school. Maybe their parents don't want them to. Maybe the parents would rather have them stay home and babysit the babies. That's not right. And so we are able to actually get our youth back into school. We've partnered with Redland School District and they will make sure that these kids can get back into school. For our youth that's 18 and older, we have a GED program and we have tutors that work one-on-one -on -one with our kids to make that happen so they can get their GED. And then after that, of course, is jobs. And we've been averaging for over a year now at least, at least one youth a week getting a job and keeping the job. Wow. So that's super exciting. And yeah, it's really neat. And then we've just opened up a housing program. Um, very small because I take baby steps, but we have two apartments, one for girls and one for boys. We have two boys in one and two girls in the other. And those are for youth that are wanting to move forward in their education. So they have to go to school full-time and work part-time. And then we have them pay $125 a month rent just to help offset it. They have mentors, they have life skill classes, so we expect a lot more out of them. Hmm. But our goal at Youth Hope are they, is... Are those like college students or are those kids? Those would be 18 in, and older. Okay. Looking yeah. Forward. If uh, we have someone that's under the age of 18, there are safe houses. If the youth wants to get off the streets and if things are not going well at home, we have places that they can so go. So the, these are students not from Redlands, but probably from L.A. or San Bernardino, right? We don't have <laughs> homeless youth in Redlands, right? No, this is from Redlands. Um, some interesting stats. <clears throat> in the United States, because I think we should go big, right? There is 1.6 to 2.1 million homeless youth, and that's between the ages of 12 and 24. 
they're hard to count. That's why there's this million gap, because youth do not want to be counted. They uh, would rather hide and, and not let people know that they're and homeless. How do they, how do they constitute uh, uh, youth as homeless? Like, what is it? Does it mean they're living outside? Does it mean they're living in a motel? What, is, what does homeless mean? So homeless means that you do not have a stable living place, that you cannot afford your own place. So if you're talking about a family that is homeless, that could mean that they stay at grandma and grandpa's for a while because they can't afford rent. And then after a while, grandma and grandpa says, ouch, you guys, I'm tired of you being lazy. And so maybe they go to uncle's house. Then they find themselves there in a car Maybe they are sleeping under the bridge, but then they'll get into a hotel room. And, and so it's a lot of bouncing around. Um, our youth, their, the way they bounce, they do a lot of what you call couch surfing. And they will come and they'll make friends with anybody around and just so they have a place to sleep. And they'll say, I'll just, you know, I'm just going to come over and visit with you for a while. And the next thing you know, it's midnight and you're still visiting with this kid. And it's like, oh, just grab the couch, you know, and we'll talk in the morning. So they're very good at finding a place to sleep, but they have no stable place to stay. So the students that um, you guys work with, mm -hmm. they're, they're coming from all walks of life. They're not necessarily all homeless, or are most of the students that you work with, most of the kids homeless? Um, you find, to back up a little bit on those stats, in the city of Redlands, going to school at the city of Redlands, between seventh grade and 12th grade only, 7th through 12th grade, there's over 1,800, 1,800 kids going to school that's considered homeless in the city of Redlands. Um, it's a lot of kids. That's, that is stating that they're sleeping on the streets, um, again, or they're couch surfing. Every single youth that comes to Youth Hope, no. We have kids that um, are very borderline. We call them at risk because if we don't get them help immediately, they will be on the streets. Mm. And so the at-risk youth... Um, you know, there might be abuse going on at home. There might not be food at home. We have one young man that rolls through, and he has a really great family. They have a lot of pride, and he's a four-point-something student. He's taken all the classes he needs to at Redlands High School, but their family has so much pride that they will not accept any help. With that, he gets no free breakfast at school, no free lunch, and his family gets one chicken, one chicken a week for the family, not per person. He rolls through. He cannot survive. He's starving. Mm. And so what he does, is he rolls through, grabs a plate of food, and keeps heading home. And the family's not abusive, meaning they just have a lot of pride. And so we even work with youth that are maybe just hungry. Yeah. And they're, you know, so they're okay, but it's hunger. So I know your story a little bit. Um, and I know, like, I remember kind of when you started this, but... Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Like, wh where did this come from? Uh, where did, how did you s get connected? Or how did you start Youth Hope? And why did you start Youth Hope? Um, <clears throat> I'm a mom with four, sometimes we say three great kids because one might be rotten, right? You know, as you have children. But really four great children. Um, and my husband and I have been married 36 years. And I've had the opportunity to be a stay-at-home mom and love on our kids, and it was the best job in the whole entire world. So when our oldest was graduated from high school, it, uh, it was during, you know, 9-11, and he was going off to college, and I kind of had a mommy meltdown, and literally bawled and cried, and I told God, I, 
I don't want to be old and sit in a rocking chair and do nothing. I want to serve you, God. And with that, um, I mean, I'm literally talking to God in my backyard. He, I could hear him say, Heidi, calm down. You got three more kids, okay? You got to raise them. But at that time, he started preparing my heart. And this is something I'm not proud of. But as I, as I raised our children, I always had this feeling that, and again, this is a total, now I'm putting it on air, um, that shame on me. I had this thing that I taught my kids that everybody that's homeless is crazy and they'll kill you. Or that they're dirt, they're so dirty that if you get near them, you're going to be sick. Mm-hmm. And again, shame on me. And, and all my kids at Youth Hope know this. So, um, But shame on me. But how cool to look back. And God knew my heart that I wanted to serve him. And so he started very lovingly and kindly putting children in my life that were homeless, but I really didn't see them as homeless kids. Super involved in our church. We had Bible study groups, and in the Bible study groups, we would, you know, I'd have these small groups, and, you know, this young lady would call me from Redlands. I live in Ukaipa. She'd call me in Redlands, and she goes, Heidi, I'm in Redlands, and I spent the night. Oh, by the way, if you spend the night outside, you are homeless at that moment. Um, Come and get me. Help me. My mom's, you know, beating me. So, you know, I'd run down and I would help her, and, and that kept happening over and over again, and be some of the just different kids in our youth group that were having issues at home. Then when our youngest was uh, going from eighth grade to ninth grade, they were going on a mission trip to San Francisco to work with the homeless. Well, I still hadn't quite put in my head that I was working with homeless. And when my son said, he's going up there, it's like a nut without your mama, and took off. And the youth pastor, bless his heart, he couldn't say no because you don't say no to Heidi. Um, And so went up. And Jeremy, who's the youth pastor, was very um, understanding, and he knew my heart. And so when we got up to San Francisco to work with the homeless, he sent me to the Golden Gate Park. And as I went to grab my son, Kevin, he said, no, 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 no. I've got him. I'll die. I'll do whatever it takes to protect him. And I looked at him as a mama bear and said, you better. Um, And I went to the Golden Gate Park. This is the moment when when I realized that God was changing my heart and molding me, stepped onto the Golden Gate Park at Hate in Ashbury. Hate in Ash, Ashbury? Yeah, something like that. Anyways, um, and there was a young lady that was sitting on the hill right there. Her name was Winter, and Winter had been homeless so long, she truly couldn't remember how old she was, but she was 17, 18, 19 years old. She's what you call curb stomped, and that's when you grab them and you slam their face into the curb to kill them. However, she didn't die, but she had lost all of her teeth. Each day, we were there for five days, and each day she was um, with a different guy, and I noticed each day she had more black and blue marks on her and, and cuts and, and just, just looking horrible. And it turned out that she was just a sex toy for these guys, and she was with them for protection, but truly they were going to end up killing her. As um, you know, as I talked to her, we would bring her peanut butter jelly sandwiches or a jacket, and I put my arms around her and I said, Winter, you've got to get off the streets. You're going to die. And she looked at me and she said, yeah. And we also talked and I shared how beautiful her name was, and she looked at me and she said, no one has ever told me that. That young lady literally changed my life. You jump forward four years, um, I kept going up there. Well, I kept taking, because of Winter, 
I started grabbing our, our kids from church and taking them to Riverside and, and down to Venice Beach because I wanted them not to judge like I was judging. Get to know somebody before you um, label them. Get to know them and figure out their story. And so four years um, <clears throat> kept going up to San Francisco. I never saw winter again. But a new friend, and her name is Gina. And I asked Gina, I said, do you know a winter? And she goes, yeah, Heidi, she's off the streets and she's helping us. And I'm thinking, Not, there's no way. There's no way this young lady's going to make it. Went up the following year, and Gina was still in the streets, and she said, Winter wants to call you. And I said, what? And she said, yeah, she wants you to call her. So I called this number, and that young lady described me from head to toe. She goes, and I never told her this. She goes, you're that lady from Southern California. You're that Christian lady from Southern California, and you told me that I can do it. I never told her I was from Southern California. I never told her I loved the Lord, but she knew it. And how amazing. And she goes, but because of you, Heidi, I'm off the streets. When I have time, I go to Golden Gate Park to help the homeless. I have a full-time job. And remember my lack of teeth? And I said, yeah. And she goes, I have brand new teeth. And her life has totally changed. And she goes, it happened because of you. And I said, well, girl, let me tell you, my life has changed because of you. And how amazing that one person can change your life. And she changed my life. And um, kind of cool that I was able to help her to move forward also. So that was the beginning. So that was the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What happened next? You come to Redland, or you come, you live in Yukaipa. I live in Yukaipa. You go on this trip a couple times, right, with, the, with church? Go on that trip many times. Um, God has to speak really loud to me. I don't listen very well. And I'm very afraid of, like I was afraid of homeless people. Um, I finally felt okay taking our youth group, right, and going down and doing things. So we, besides going to San Francisco, we decided to make these trips bigger and larger. And so we went to Portland, Oregon, and Seattle, Washington. In Seattle, Washington, there's a drop-in center called Orion. And I walked in, and the minute I walked in, it was like, oh. I need to do this. This is so cool. But, you know, I don't do these things. By the way, I don't do these things. Um, I don't do them. So, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Like that was your mindset I'm at the time. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I don't Yeah, I don't do this. I don't I stay at home and love my kids and and spend mommy time. And that's what I do. Um, but there was something in you that wanted to do something right like when you walk well you walk in and it's in and it's just like God said and it's so hard to explain but it's like isn't this amazing you know I don't know if you go to Disneyland I don't like Disneyland but if you go to Disneyland you go whoa this is amazing you know I wish I had one in my backyard um yeah it's kind of like wow this is really cool I should do this <laughs> no forget it that was more the thoughts because you know at this point I'm taking our church kids um, by the way, I would roll through Redlands, and I never would see homeless kids. Such a crack up. Never would see anybody. But I would go to Riverside, and I would work with a bunch of, you know, homeless youth. And I would go to, like I said, Venice Beach or Santa Monica. And so we would make these trips. And so it's kind of like, oh, this is cool. And then Redlands would pop in my head. Redlands, Redlands. I don't see kids in Redlands. Okay. So I would talk to our, our church kids. I'd talk to my own children. Guys, this would be so cool. Um, talk to 
some people in Redlands, you know, that, you know, different shops and people I know, and they said, they would say, you need to talk to the chief of police, which was Jim Behrman at that time. By the way, as much as I don't do a drop-in center, I don't talk to chief of police. I know there's no way. They'll either yell at you or they'll arrest you. Um, Careful, his sister-in-law is sitting in our it's pew okay. over there. It's so. okay. I don't do, I ask him, I don't do this. <laughs> I don't do this. Um, so... But his name would keep coming up, and she was like, yeah, right. Um, so I would just say, how cool, and just keep doing, you know, take our backpacks, and I'd bring our church kids and say, you shouldn't judge, okay? You know, listen to their stories, and we would get to know the most amazing people on the streets. I mean, and their stories would just break your heart, and, and, and you would just say, you know, God, I need to do more. And that was the other piece, though. I would say, God, i got to do more. There's more than just hand them a sandwich. I've got to do more than hand them a jacket. I've got to do more. What do you want me to do? Chief Berman would come up in my head. I don't talk to Ch Please, okay? Don't do it. <clears throat> but God, we need to do something. So I'd have these conversations. I know it sounds a little crazy, but I talk to God a lot. Um, so... It was, the year was coming back up around, and we were going back up to San Francisco, Portland, Oregon, and Seattle, Washington to, you know, a couple of weeks of spending time with youth on the streets. And, and doing that, I just, I learned so much on the streets. You know, um, we found a dead body once. We had, I had drugs passed over my body with guns behind me. I mean, seriously, like, whoa. But that was okay. I could do that. Um, <clears throat> I was okay with that by then. So we made it up to Port... Oh, my daughter, my youngest daughter, went on this trip with us, and I kept telling Monica, you've got to see this place. When we get to Seattle, you have got to come with me because I want you to see this place. This is amazing. So went in, because still, it's like so amazing. So we went in. Monica said, Mom, you need to call the chief of police. I don't do that. Well, I... More afraid of my daughter, I guess, not really. But when we got home, she said, Mom, you have one week to call the police, uh, chief of police or else. I don't know what the or else was. I mean, she was only like 18. But anyhow, um, she left, and I did what I was good. I do do what I'm told to do. I picked up the phone, and I called, and I got the answering machine. It was so cool. And I literally said, 909-663-4543. Look, I hung up. So I could look at my daughter and say, I called. I did not tell them why I called. I did nothing, but I, I listened to her. You didn't leave your name? You no, sir. <laughs> I just left. So you just called the cops and left your number uh -huh. like a woman in distress <laughs> and didn't think they'd call you back? They no. probably called you back because you did that, because you were so like... Well, if I had thought through it, I might have changed. <laughs> so I, I didn't think through I just wanted to obey my daughter. <clears throat> so... I um, did get a phone call back, and it was Chief Airman's secretary, and she said, did somebody by this number call? And I said, yes. So we went from there, and um, she was so sweet. She said, you know, um, Chief Airman's on vacation, but I'm sure he'll be very interested in this. And I thought, there's no way he'll be interested. And sure enough, he called, and we met that following Monday. Um, and that's when everything literally started, because Chief Behrman met with me for hours and told me exactly what to do and that there is an issue here in Redlands um, and that Redlands needs help. And so I listened and I obeyed him and did what he told me to do. And um, doors started opening up left and right. And here we are. What did, what did he tell you to do? It was very important that we 
we get stats here in Redlands that we figure out um, exactly how many youth are on the streets, where they're coming from, what's going on, you know, are they addicts? By the way, yes, we have addicts, but the majority are not addicts. Um, you know, just kind of that whole process. And he said, you're going to have to start talking and sharing with other people, <laughs> which I don't do very well. Um, but he started opening those doors. He said, I needed to become a 501c3. By the way, when I say I don't do these things, at that moment, I didn't even know what a 501c3 was. Um, <laughs> so I've learned a lot. Um, but what's exciting is God has surrounded me with Christians and with people much, much wiser than I am that know those things. And those doors would just open up immediately. There was an attorney from one of the church youth group kids that I dragged around with me. Her mom used to be a secretary for an attorney that then lived in um, Washington, and, but he still had his license here and never met the man, but he gave us, did all the paperwork to have us become a 501c3. And, and you know, so all these little things that um, could only happen if God's hands is involved in it. There's, otherwise, there's no way. And that's been Youth Hope from the very beginning. It's God's, God is opening doors left and right and doing things that I don't do. Mm. And he just wants us to listen and obey. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, what, so you start, you, you do some research in Redlands. You find out, hey, this is a thing here. We have 1,800 homeless youth in one way, shape, or form, what do you do next? How do you go about ministering to these people? What's your next step? The chief has said, do it. We need this here. Um, you have our blessing. You've got churches, people that are like, go for it. What do you do? What's the connection point? Well, I do everything backwards. Um, if, if you do this thing right, you should find a building first, and you should do all these things. But I, I do everything backwards. It probably makes life more difficult, but it's okay. Um, I had already been taking our kids from church and reaching out. So we were going already to Riverside, and I was already going down to these other places to say, hey, how can we help you? So, um, you know, when... It was kind of interesting. As I was trying to contemplate if I was going to call Chief Beerman and my daughter said I better, I um, literally drove. I was going down to the Redlands Bowl, and I was driving down Redlands Boulevard, and I said, God, there are no homeless kids in, in Redlands. There's no homeless kids. If you want me to do this, because Redlands is always popping in my head, I need to see these kids. And it wasn't, but it was almost like there was this bunch of kids at the... Um, by CVS, the bus stop, it was like they were in the street waving me down. And I looked, and it's like, all of a sudden, here's, there was probably over 20 kids that were standing there. And I pull into the parking lot, and I said, seriously, God? I just, <laughs> just said, show them to me, and there they are. And there was a prostitute that went down that was prostituting. There was a drug deal that was going on. There was kids that were trying to find some food in the trash can. And I sat there for about 10 minutes saying, okay, there is a problem here. So to move forward, I grabbed our kids from church and we went down to CVS in that parking lot and, and I'm really good at playing a dumb blonde. Um, I don't know if it's really playing, but anyways, um, walk up and say, hey, I've got a sandwich. You guys hungry? Um, you know, nobody wants a favor done for them. 
I'd rather do a favor for other people, right? It makes me feel good. So what I really would share is, you know, if they kind of like testing it, it's, you know, you, you know, I'm a mom and I've got kids and I've got all this food left over and they want to eat it and I don't want to throw it away. Will you please eat my food? And just take it, okay? Um, real quick when they all of a sudden grab your sandwich because now they're doing me a favor. So then we would drop down to our knees and I'd start pulling out, I also have all this stuff, would you like it? Well, if they weren't homeless and if they were just helping a crazy lady, they'd say, uh, good, and they t would take off. But the kids that would say, oh, what you got? Yeah, I need a jacket. Oh yeah, I need some socks. Those were my target kits. And so then I would start taking a list. Well, what else do you need? I'll be back next Tuesday. And I found that your word needs to be your word. Your yes is your yes, and your no is your no. Don't lie. Don't make up stories. It is what it is. <clears throat> and if I told them I was going to be back next Tuesday, I was going to be back next Tuesday, no matter what, with whatever I could possibly find and do my very best. And so that's how we started, CVS parking lot. I'm, I'm pulling out things. And along with that, um, Chief Berman would get different service clubs that would call me up to say, hey, you know, um, I hear you're doing this. Do you have stats? We, we found um, a little film crew that we would go around and we um, filmed some of our kids and, and we talked, you know, and they were ones that were living on the streets and they were struggling and so they shared their stories and then we needed a place because CVS wasn't quite working any longer. So we went to the Methodist church and they let us use their courtyard and then we were destroying their yard, their grass, because we kept growing and kept growing. And so then we went across the street to the Presbyterian Church and said, hey, can we use your dirt basement? And they said, sure. And so we ended up in a dirt basement, and the kids are dragging carpet and, and um, you know, just kind of made it our little home. And then um, the dirt made me very ill, very ill. So we took off and, and went to the park, and I went to City Hall, and I said, went to the mayor and um, some officials and said, I know this is illegal, but I'm at the park and I don't have any money to pay for permits, but I've got a lot of hungry kids. And they said, keep doing what you're doing. And um, so we were there and then we were super blessed. Somebody purchased um, this old building that is on Redlands Boulevard near Tennessee. What it, there was a restaurant? It was a fish restaurant. It was a, yeah, a fish restaurant. And before yeah. that, it was a bar, I guess, back in the day. But it had been sitting empty for a few years. A little Fisherman was Little it Fisherman's Restaurant. Yeah. Isn't that cool? That little is fisherman. really cool. That's yeah. really cool. Fishers um, of men. Yeah, that's right. So it was donated. Um, that's almost three years now. Everything wrong with the building that could be everything wrong with that building was wrong. Everything. Um, but... The youth came in and the uh, community came in, churches and service clubs and whoever, and we gutted that place all the way to the bare walls. Then we had to dig six feet down into um, the ground to fix sewer pipes and um, everything has been donated and given to us. And in the midst of all that, we just keep meeting our kids. Since 2009, we have seen over 2,100 different kids. Wow. <clears throat> so um, a lot of youth have rolled through with needs and hurts and pain and um, sometimes just need a, a huge hug to know that they're alive, to remember their name, to let them know that we care. And um, our, our, the, you would ask, you know, at the very beginning, how did I get here? And, and God kept showing me verses over and over again. And it was always the verses that said, love 
love one another, stop judging, love. And my favorite verse is in John um, 13, 34, and it says, a new command I give you, and that's to love one another as I have loved you. So go and love one another. And that is our goal, is if nothing else, that they can see Christ through us in everything we do and that they know that love is real and that, tr- that we truly care about him. I have no doubt that the love is real and just having witnessed you a number of times. Also, uh, if I ever need to make a connection with somebody on the street, I name drop. Like, hey, do you know Heidi? And then like the moment I do that, there's like, oh, okay, connection. I'm like, yeah. So um, your love is very, very real and present and evident. But I think even more than that, God's love through you. Um, and on your website, you have some really neat stories. If people are interested, they can read a bunch of these. Uh, and that is youthhope.org, right? Yes, youthhope.org. Youthhope.org. Um, so you can go to Heidi's website and learn more about um, some of their structural stuff. But I, I just want to get at a story and invite you maybe to tell it. Um, and this one is, is on your website, but you, like you said, you know, we have to kind of change stuff up. So I'm going to let you tell it how you would like to tell it of just, it's, it's nice to hear stats, you know, it's good like to, to do that. But for us, I think to really develop that heart for justice, we have to have names like winter. Um, would you, would you share a story with us that's, um, moving or, or, uh, that Absolutely. means a lot to you? Absolutely. So one story that Nick picked out, um, it took me a minute because we do change the names and we change um, their females to males and all that good stuff. And it really is to protect the families. However, um, this family isn't so protected because we um, went through a really hard time in April. We um, kind of back up a little bit. We had this one young man that showed up when we were at the Presbyterian Church, a very quiet young man and loved music. In fact, he was so quiet that like, I never would hardly see him, you know? And, and one day, he was so, so sad and so cute. He goes, how come you don't like me? It's like, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. And so I gave him a big hug, and I said, okay, dude, from now on, we're talking. And he became one of my very favorite kids um, of many, many, many. But um, I really felt like he was one of my children. He came from a very hard home, and his parents are math addicts, and his whole entire life was living on the streets and not couch surfing, but living on the streets. Finally, somebody donated a, an RV to them. And so they lived in an RV for a while. Then all of a did sudden... He, did he go to school like in Redlands? He did. He and his sister went to school. So they went through the whole school district. In fact, um, he was in Boy Scouts. And I met one of the Boy Scout leaders that, was, that he was in. And so their heart was broken because he said he was in Boy Scouts with us. Um, so they were involved, and they were Redlands kiddos. Um, the sister I did not know so much. She was very quiet and, and to herself, and her brother wanted to protect her because, you know, youth hope kids can be bad, you know. I don't know why. I think it's just a big brother thing. So um, as he was getting older, you know, he um, graduated from high school, and Oh, backing up. His parents, I did say they were meth addicts, and very hard. And there was one day that he actually called me on the phone, sobbing on the phone, and said, you've got to come help me. You've got to come help me. Now, I live in Yucaipa, right? And he's in Redlands. I said, what's going on? He goes, my dad can't breathe. His dad had overdosed. And he goes, 
And he looked, I guess, at his dad, and his dad started breathing. He goes, oh, never mind. Please don't tell anybody. Don't, don't tell anybody. It's okay. He's okay. Um, he, um, <clears throat> again, this kiddo just kept coming and, and visiting with us. Reuben's his name. And Reuben, um, just every bit, he, he made every single person feel as if they were his best friend. Every person. So, I mean, he'd walk up to you guys, and he would be super polite and kind and helpful. He showed up at Youth Hope every single weekend to help us on, at Youth Hope. Um, we would give him food because there was zero food in their, in their home. Um, the parents knew how to play the game to get free things so they can get, make more meth and do their whole meth thing. And finally, they were given this little <clears throat> shack. And um, Reuben had woken up one morning to all the smoke coming in, and the shack was on fire and burning. He, didn't, he was not aware his parents were making it. He had no clue until after this happened. Then he realized that's what was going on. So he lost everything, which wasn't much of anything. And his room was, holy moly, I don't know. His room was the size of a piano, maybe. I mean, it was just a little thing. And that meant everything to him, and he still lost all of that. Um, Reuben got into college, into Crafton, and kind of when Reuben hit Crafton, his sister started showing up a little bit, and that young lady had moved out of the home because she was sick and tired of what was going on, and she wasn't about to be a part of it. And so she was couch surfing and staying at different people's houses and going to um, Redlands high, high School and doing really well. So um, the kids are kind of trying to pull it together and make things happen. One day in April, this last April, Reuben was hanging out with his friends, and he was now living in this little shack in the back of, a, of another shack. And um, unknown to anybody, he decided at 5 in the morning to walk out, and he hung himself. That afternoon, the kids in the front house walked back, and they found Reuben hanging. Literally... Um, so devastating, absolutely so devastating. The kids had called. I went down, spent some time where Reuben had hung himself, talked to the kids that were there, trying to help the kids that um, found him. Went back to Youth Hope, and within hours, we had over 200 kids that came rolling into Youth Hope. They needed a place to cry, they needed a place to be hugged, and they needed a place that was going to be safe for them. It's, um, we had a heart rock dropped off at Youth Hope, and literally like fell out of the sky. And it was incredible. It's a huge, huge heart rock. And it was amazing because these kids were all gravitating to that heart rock. And I would turn around, these kids were kneeling and praying or crying in front of this heart rock. Mm. And, you know, to me, we have always... Um, I've shared with the kids that when I pray for them, I find God shows me a heart rock. And then it doesn't matter if you're lumpy and bumpy and not perfect, that he loves us unconditionally. He loves you so much. And to see these kids to roll in front of this rock, um, just to be able to cry. His sister, um, you know, she was coming down and, and being there. And um, it, was, it was seriously horrible. I mean, Reuben made me feel like I was his best friend. Um, um, still a lot hurt there. So as we grabbed his very close friends, which was probably about 20 of them, the kids decided that they needed to do something. So part of the healing process is they um, wanted to do something for his sister because she was going off to college. She was accepted, and I won't get the right 
state, Virginia, I think it's Virginia, to an all-girls college, and they wanted to help pay for that. Even though she got a full ride, there's still expenses, and there's no money in that family. So we put a car wash on, <clears throat> and the kids raised about $2,000 in a week's period that we were able to give um, Ruben's sister so she could be able to make it to school. So we put on a car wash for healing, and then we did a big memorial um, the following week that the kids put together um, for Reuben. And again, just a time to heal. What was crazy, and for to understand why Reuben did something like this, um, is very difficult. However, Dad showed up the day after, and all the kids were there. And I'm trying to deal with kids that are literally um, having such a horrible time. And dad had the audacity to stand up there and joke around and say things like, oh yeah, I caught Reuben in the oven once and um, with the gas on and I told him I should just shut the door on him and let him die. Or I found Reuben once with a uh, rope hanging off our bed, you know, wall, and he was gonna hang himself and I should have just have done it. And he would laugh about this. If you stop and look at that, besides his parents being, being addicts, Dad was extremely abusive, and that was something that Reuben never shared with us because he had too much respect for his dad. And whatever Dad said Reuben would do, and Dad spent, I mean, and I didn't even hear these things. Actually, someone came up to me so I could stop the man. But here he's talking about all the abuse that Dad was doing to his son who had just committed suicide. So wrong. And Reuben was not an addict. Reuben did not touch drugs. He was not interested in drugs. He did not want to go down that road as his parents. He was going to college to be a musician. His sister, who walked away even sooner from the house, she would not speak to her parents. She still does not speak to her parents. But the cool thing is, is her life is going down a different direction. She has accepted help. She's accepted counseling. She's gotten out of the area. And, um, and she's moving forward and she's doing really really well um so to see you know sometimes our kids come from really bad things you know it, it doesn't make our kids bad they just have a lot of pain and there's a lot of hurt and you can go through every one of our kids every single one comes with a story and they might you know maybe it's not their maybe it's not abuse maybe it's like the young man that just needs chicken you know or needs some food because that's all they get is chicken but he's still hurting he's still hungry or we have Reuben that the pain was so strong, he chose to hang himself. Um, so now because of that, well actually that week we lost two boys to suicide and three weeks later we lost um, a kiddo to, um, to an overdose. And so we have a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. I have about a thousand questions, but I'm gonna try to ask one about the role of anger in your calling what kind of redemptive what part does anger play in people who have a heart for justice not not that you strike me at all as an angry person but what what role does anger have in god's call in your life to care for people in really, really hard places, and specifically youth in really hard places? I'm not an angry person, although um, 
I feel, hey, we're so busy loving on kids and being there for them and, and holding them tight when they need to be held and encouraging them when they need to be encouraged. And this is God's program. This is, youth hope is, is God's. Because um, if I try to do it, it'd fall apart. Um, and people that hurt their children, such as Reuben's dad and, and even his mom, you know, that's between he and God. And I believe very strongly God will take care of it. Um, you know, however that journey is, wherever they go, that's going to be between he and God. And, and um, <clears throat> I don't have time to be angry, to, um, oh, anger will destroy you. And I don't have time to be destroyed. There's too much, um, too many people that need to be loved, and, and I need to be loved. I mean, you know, as much as I love these kids, they love me too, and I am so blessed. And so I think more my problem is more hurt and pain with these kiddos than angry. Um, anger at their parents, but again, God'll, God'll he'll, yeah. he'll take care. I don't of that. mean anger at the the people that you're working with. I mean angry about their situation, angry about, and not angry like, you know, head furled. And maybe that's pain. Maybe that's more what what it is. Is um, you know, ripping your heart being ripped open again and again and again and again. And I guess my question is about that process and how do you keep going how do you how do you sustain that level of hurt or frustration right or i mean i guess that's what i meant when i said anger okay. frustration um well if a couple of things one when you start working you know with a hard population you can either become get a really hard heart mm -hmm. so you kind of keep that distance between um <clears throat> what do you mean? What do you mean? The distance well, between you don't let the kids quite so much into your life, so you don't have quite so much pain when you see it. You can, you can sometimes see that with people. You know, it's like um, I keep thinking of different people, but and this is not against the police officers, but like a police officer has to have his guard up, right? Because maybe someone's going to shoot him. So he has to be careful about what he does. Right. And, and, or guys that are serving overseas, you know, they might see a child, but you got to still be careful. You got to have that guard up, right? Um, however, if you have that guard, you can't love them like you need to love them. I was noticing, um, this is when we were at the Presbyterian church in their basement, I was getting this guard up. And so I told God, God, I want to see what you see, and I want you to break my heart like yours is broken. Don't ask God to do that, guys, okay? Because literally, holy moly, I bawled for over a week. Mm. I could not stop so crying. So you felt that kind of hardness or just like... No, the, he let it go because yeah. I asked him to let it go, and, yeah. and I just... Oh, but you I, recognized that. like Oh, yeah. Well, I was starting to get that. So... What was that? The hardness? The... Well, just like... Because oh, here's why I'm asking. We have a population at our church um, that is a lot of us, I think, have been burned okay. um, by trying to care, by uh, reaching out, by, you know, sacrificing something in our life for the sake of somebody else, uh, only to sort of, I mean, I heard a story again today, right? Only to be, whatever, disappointed or hurt or taken advantage of and... Is that kind of what you're talking about? That that develops a little bit of a 
it callousness. Can. It can, like, a little callousness. It can. So, number one, if you ask God to open his eyes, he'll break your heart. He will soften it. He'll, like, he'll totally break it. Like I said, I cried for a solid week. I think, though, also, like that callousness and stuff, I, it's important that we come to a place of why are we doing what we do? Right. Why do we care? Why do we care? You know, is it to make myself feel good? Or is it because God has asked me to care? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the important piece. If I do it for Heidi, I'm in the wrong business. Right. It's not about me. And, and so we share, you know, 1% of our kids still. Okay, if they steal, they're going to steal. Oh, well, it's not mine anyhow. You know, um, a kiddo that says, you know, I really need this. I'm going to be there. And they don't show up. It's not against me. Maybe, maybe they needed to go find some food. Or maybe something else has happened. Or maybe they're sleeping in. Or who knows what. And I think we have to... Well, not maybe. We have to give what we serve and what we do to to our Lord, we have to say, these are your children. Right. And I'm here to serve you, God. Mm-hmm. And what do you want me to do? And, and if I'm serving God, it doesn't matter if they burn me. It right. doesn't matter. I mean, sir, I mean, this morning, all of our computers blew up at Youth Hope. I had, I lost everything. And I literally said, God, I guess we're starting over. It's yours. It's not mine. It's his. So, you know, that's where we have to say, you know, what do you want me to do? And, and so, you know, the, the break, you know, when our hearts break, we do have to be very careful because we have to take care of ourselves. And that's where when I told God to break my heart after a week of bawling, I had to come and say, God, I need, I need a halfway in betweener. Because I have to function too. Right. And that I was my next question: was about what, what kinds of boundaries? That's a a, a popular word, right? Like, what sure. sort of boundaries do you put on, um, your the ministry so that? Absolutely. And maybe even rhythms do you have so that you are sustained and that you have something to give, right? Because a Absolutely. lot of people give and give and give and give and give and give and. They become callous and hardened and bitter and resentful sure. and have nothing then really to offer. Right. So how do you, how do, you do that? What I are go, some of the things? Well, I go home and I turn my phone off every night and I don't turn it on until the next day. My phone is off. I work on Saturdays till about 1 and then at 1 o'clock my phone is off until Monday. I do, if you call me, I do not answer my phone. I listen to messages to see who's calling and what how I need to prepare myself um, to be able to answer whatever phone calls I get. Um, My husband and I just got back from spending four days at Yosemite and having time alone. I do not bring any youth home. None of the kids come to my house, zero. Um, When we go out on dates, we don't come to Redlands because I want to spend time with my husband or our children and not with the youth. Our youth are very needy, and they hurt deeply, and you can be sucked dry. You mm. can spend seven days a week, 24 hours a day with the youth, and, but I'm not going to be able to help them, right. and so I have to be okay. We worship at a church in Riverside. I don't come to Redlands because I need to be able to worship. Um, so those are important things that we do, and 
um, because I do that. You know, I can go home and I weed my yard and I don't have to worry about talking to kids. Um, I can play with my grandchildren. Just have that okay time. And I, if you don't do that, you will get burned out. Yeah. That's how I do it. Great. I love that. I love the sense of stewardship that you have about your, your calling. And I, I get the impression that this last eight, nine, ten years, you would probably say God has done a lot in you. And maybe speak to how you've changed as a result of this journey, um, as a result of your, your work. I've changed. Um, I talk to God a lot more than before I started. And I search him out um, so much more. It's, you know, going through the journey, every time I try to do it Heidi's way, <laughs> I crash. Um, so it's really important um, that it's God's. And doing that, I have seen miracles beyond miracles beyond miracles that, that there is no way any of this would have happened or could have happened except for through God. And, and I think that is the biggest way I have changed. Yes, you know, I have changed. I love our, our, our homeless population. I love our kids. I, you know, I'm not afraid of them. Um, they're actually more loving than people that aren't homeless. Um, they're incredible. And I have, you know, gotten to know some amazing, incredible um, youth. And, and so I've been extremely blessed by serving. I'm probably more tired. But that's okay. I don't want to sit in that rocking chair. I just want to keep serving him to the end. Mm. Um, I want to just thank you for saying yes to that calling and that stirring. And, you know, you don't do this. And I know you don't do this. Um, and you don't call the police chief. And you don't go on these mission trips. And you don't talk to, you know, dirty, nasty, whatever. Um, but I have been really blessed and touched over the years just watching even from a distance what you're doing and seeing people we have a young man in our uh, community who recently I think got kicked out of Youth Hope because he's in his like 30s and he's like yeah Heidi said I I need to kind of you know whatever but I know he still drops in and um, but just seeing even his countenance and relationship um, you've yeah, your yes has changed a lot of people's lives, not just youth, but also you know those of us in local churches whose um, hearts can also sometimes become calloused. And I just want to thank you for saying yes to God and thank you for modeling what uh, a relationship with him looks like. Um, and uh, yeah, celebrate that. So I want to turn it over to our... Um, folks in the audience and see if there's anybody that has any questions for you. Sure. Thank you. Pastor Scott. I do. Hi, Heidi. Thank you for coming. Um, so when I think about the population that you serve, and you already said, I think the word that you used was a hard population in, in the sense of a hard population to reach or connect with, or, or and maybe I'm wrong. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Um, the church has not done that well oftentimes, connecting in hard places. And for us to grow, if you could share with us maybe three things. Um, I know that you are completely immersed 
So I, I can appreciate what, you're, what you might call us to in saying, hey, come on down to Youth Hope, come serve and volunteer and, and that sort of thing. Uh, appropriate, and if, you know, I certainly would understand if that's one thing. So I'm thinking about completely immersed, I'm thinking about waist deep, and I'm thinking about getting your feet wet. For us as a community to think about how do we get our feet wet here? For us as a community to think about how do we go waist deep and for us as a community to think about how do we immerse ourselves because we know that God may call some people to different places of engagement here. Could you help us understand and give us an idea of how to maybe take some of those steps? So are you talking about as a church or as individuals in the church? Yes. <laughs> uh, let's, let's, let's speak to individuals. Individuals. Um, I think as individuals, it's important, you know, as, as I was sharing, when you tell God you truly want to do something, that you're serious about it, hmm. um, and not just, you know, in church, okay, do you want to serve God? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah, I do. No, I mean, do you want to serve him? And will you do anything when he asks you to do it? Like I said, it took me a solid year to obey, to make one phone call. Um, God knew I was serious, but at the same time, that fear is huge, and it's scary, and it's so scary. But when you have that voice in your head, when you tell God, I want to serve you, he's, he, and he, when he, know, he knows if you're serious or not, he's going to start changing, and he's going to start bringing, like I said, those youth into you, your life that I didn't even know were homeless, you know? Um, so he was starting to prepare me for this journey because he knew my heart was really, like, I was dead serious. I still am. Um, and then when you hear it, you've got to obey. Even if you don't do it, like I said, I, and, and, and I don't mean that as a joke, guys. I seriously don't do this stuff. You know, I don't You're do this. You're not like stuff. a trained social worker who... I throw up before I go, and I got shingles from this, and my side hurts like no other right now where I had the shingles because of nervousness. So when I say I don't do this, like, I literally get sick. About what? Speaking? Any of it, except for working with the kids now. But yeah, I don't speak. I don't make that phone call. I, um, but I listen to God, and I do what he asks me to do. Um, so it's okay. My, my side hurts, you know? Um, but I think that's, you know, that first part. And then as you're following, you do put your toes, you know, in the water. And, and maybe you think, well... When I started, you know, I was really searching, you know, I was super involved in church, really, really involved in church, but I wanted to do something, and so I was taken on my own, and there was a nonprofit that I went to go serve, and I hated it. It's like, I love their organization, I love what they're doing, but it wasn't a fit for me, and they had me writing thank you notes, and seriously, I don't write thank you notes, I walked away. You know, your thank you notes don't come from me, guys. If my heart is there, my thankfulness is there, I would have never married my husband if I had to write him a single note. Um, so, and that was the first thing this, this place did was had me write thank you notes. It's just like I finished. I walked down and said, oh, I'm never coming back because that was not where God wanted me. And so it's just like, nope, the wall went up. I walked away. And so, you know, I can't say what does God want you to do, but I know he speaks. And I know if you listen, he will guide and direct you. And it's probably the thing that you say, eh, I don't do that. Um, I don't know, you know, but as you serve, there's reasons why 
I went down those roads. You know, I went to protect my son in, in San Francisco. You know, I met Winter, and wow, she changed my life. It's like, whoa, how dare I? I need to grab some other kids and some other people to teach them what I just learned. You know, and then as we kept going down, it's like, whoa, I need to do more. And that's been my process. It's, this isn't enough. I need to do more. I need to do more. If I knew how much I had to do at the beginning, right. oh, I would have quit. Right. I would have hid in my closet. There's no way. <laughs> but I could take those baby steps. I could get my feet wet. And then I can move up and, and do the next step and, and do the next step. Yeah. And I don't know if that answers your question, but I do believe it's, it's taking those steps, but listening to what God says and go for it. I, I, I think you've, you've spoken eloquently about what it means to follow God's call and how we, how we progress in that. It is a process of God calling us and changing us and transforming us. Thank you. Other questions or comments for Heidi? Cool. Um, we like to close in just a time of prayer. And so we're really, again, thank you for being here. Thanks for being a part of episode 20 of the Love Shared podcast. And thank you for having me. Your website, again, if people that are interested in listening is youthhope.org. And uh, thank you so much for being here with us tonight. Thank you again. How beautiful are the feet of the ones who share the good news of God.